crossing cultures. I've got a question for each of you. Well, before we do that, just quick review. We are going through the book of Acts. And as you saw, we read about 40 verses today. Um, we could. We're going to preach three sermons, three, five, six-minute sermons in, in, in the sermon today. But last week, we were looking at the church follows God. And there were three things that we talked about. The first thing is sometimes opposition comes from the Lord. And if you remember, Paul and his team, they tried to get into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit opposed them. They tried to get into Asia, but the Spirit of Christ opposed them, would not let them in. And there's many times as we live out our life, it feels like we're getting pressed down and it's actually the Lord pressing us and he's putting us in the desert, so to speak. But the Lord is a personal God and he loves us and he longs and desires to have a relationship. And he does speak to us directly and clearly, first and foremost, through his word. And then the third thing is immediate obedience. The Lord speaks to us through his word, through sermons, through songs, through other believers. And when the Lord speaks to us, we need to call out, say yes, and take that step of obedience. That's what we looked at last week. This week, the topic for today is the church crosses cultures. I want you guys to think, have you ever been in a situation where you truly were in another culture? I mean, I've got a gazillion stories from Mexico. I've got tons of stories when I was a little kid playing sports, many times being the only white kid on the ball team or the minority. But I want to share a story the first time I met Christy's extended family. We had been in the, I'd been in Mexico for a while. I was in Wheaton for five years and went to Mexico. When Christy and I were engaged, one of the holidays, we were up here. And we were driving to meet her extended family in Adamsville. That's West Tennessee. Now, I grew up in West Tennessee. We all live in Tennessee right now. But let me tell you, why does Tennessee have three stars on their state flag? Does anybody know why? Because it's really three states. East Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and West Tennessee. They're geographically very different. Politically, they're very different. Economically, they're different. And West Tennessee, man, we're country. West Tennessee, it's like North Mississippi. I grew up in West Tennessee. And as we're driving from Nashville down to Adamsville, I'm nervous. Because I'm going to meet all these aunts, all these uncles, 50, 60 people. I'm kind of exaggerating, maybe a little bit of a fish story. A lot. And all that I've heard from Christy and her mom and dad is their extended family is super tight. And they are to this day. And I'm getting all worked up. Oh, I hope they like me. Oh, man. And then I start thinking, wait a second. These are my people. I grew up in West Tennessee. Why am I freaking out about like meeting people from a different culture? Yes, I've lived in Mexico for a few years, but these are my people. We get there, meet all these aunts and uncles. Hours later, I'm sleeping on the floor in the living room. And have you guys ever been asleep, but you can still kind of hear what's going on? Does that, ever, does that ever happen to you? I'm laying right on the floor, and there's kids running around. There's adults talking. And I hear one of Christie's uncles say, well, I guess Doug feels awfully at home. He's right here asleep on the floor. And I heard that, and I thought, whew, I passed the test. Crossing cultures. We can experience that a lot here in Nashville. There's over 100 nationalities right here in Nashville. We talk a lot about Spanish, and I do all the time. There's 200,000 people from Latin America that live in Middle Tennessee. 
Overton High School is the most diverse high school in the entire state. And I'm not even going to quote because I'm going to get it wrong. Dozens and dozens of languages in one high school. Glencliff is diverse. Witsit Elementary School has seven languages in this little elementary school that are spoken every day. The diversity of cultures just in this one city is amazing. And it's God's idea. It's his diversity and creativity as he's created all of us. As we look different, talk different, eat different foods, sound different, and birds of a feather feather flock together, we will naturally kind of flock up with those who look like us and sound like us and talk like us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But may we never be this holy huddle with our backs turned towards people who are from other cultures, other places. Because that's God's heart for all of us. Right here in Acts chapter 3, I mean Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 16, there's three things that we're going to cover today as we look at the church crossing cultures. Johnny asked you guys to say two during the announcements. I'm going to tell you to say three. It's real easy. It's right after two. Three. Three things. Say it. Three. You can say it in Spanish. Tres. Very good. Three things. The first one is this, Lydia's conversion. The second one is the slave girl's restoration. And the third one is the jailer's salvation. So Lydia's conversion, that's verse 11 through 15. It's really short. I'm going to read it again here, but it says this. And if you remember, Paul and his team were traveling and traveling over 400 miles and the Holy Spirit would not let them into one country or to another country. And then Paul has this vision of this man in Macedonia, which is Europe. And they're Asian, crossing cultures, where he sees in this vision, come and help us, pleading to Paul to come and help us. So Paul determined that God was calling them to cross over the sea to Macedonia. And they get there. And they get to Philippi. And we'll read here in verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and we sailed straight from Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from Thyatira, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. There are several things in this passage here that we can look at, but this is the first one. This is Act 1. Lydia's conversion. Paul and his team get to Philippi. Philippi, as it says here, was the leading Roman colony there in Macedonia. It's known that in Philippi, numerous Roman military retired there in Philippi. Paul later would write the letter to the Philippians. And this church here that gets started in Lydia's house was one of the most faithful churches to Paul in all of his ministry. If you need a spiritual lift-me-up and encouragement, read Philippians. It's an incredible small little book of encouragement. It's four chapters. It's a very short letter. 
But in this Roman colony, there are hardly any Jews there. Why? Because as they stayed there for several days, it says they went outside of the city to the river to a place of prayer. Jewish tradition, in order to build a synagogue, there had to be 10 men. Say it, 10. 10. And yet these Jewish people, mainly or only women, are out by the river in prayer. Lydia isn't even Jewish. She's a Gentile. She's a God-fearer. And she's there with just a few women in prayer. You see, Paul's strategy for planting churches, he would always go to the synagogues first. Why? Wasn't he the apostle to the Gentiles? Yes. But Paul knew that the gospel is for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Is God racist? Is he showing favoritism? No. But he chose the Jewish nation. And through the Jewish nation would come the Messiah, Jesus. This is important. Phone's ringing. Whoever phone that is, please don't feel bad. I'm calling you out, but that's okay. Comic relief, all right? If you want to stand, no, I'm just teasing. I'm totally teasing. But Paul's strategy would be to go to the Jewish synagogue because people there already knew the scriptures of the Old Testament. He knew there that there would be God-fearers, hearts already. And because these Jewish people had the foundation of scripture, the foundation for early church leadership is already laid. There was no synagogue in Philippi. They go to the place of prayer. And as it says here, there was a lady, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, dealing in purple cloth from Theotira. Purple cloth was cloth for the uber, uber, uber wealthy. This was a wealthy businesswoman who was Gentile and adopted the Jewish faith. Talking about a woman of peace, a bridge builder for the gospel in Europe. These are our great, 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 great ancestors if you're a European descent right here for the gospel. It says the Lord opened her heart to believe. It is by God and only by God that any of us are saved. It is his grace and his grace alone. We are held accountable to our decisions. God will judge us according to our decisions. But we don't choose Jesus. He chooses us. Now we have to respond. And we respond by faith. But we didn't find Jesus. He was never lost, okay? He found us. God opened her heart and she responded with faith by saying yes to what she heard. God sought her out through Paul and his team when she was seeking him. And it's God's grace. She gets baptized. She, her entire household. And this is our first home group in Europe. And she persuades Paul and their team, if you consider me a believer, stay in my house. She has the means. She has the ability to support them. 
One of the reasons we give of our tithes and offerings is to support the global workers and pastors. That is where part of our tithes and offerings go. And we're called to give, not just to follow the example of the widow of the passage we read earlier in our tithes and offerings. All of us should give. If this is your church, you should be tithing. It's just a given. It's a command and it's an act of worship. And there are some of us who have tons and tons of money. And God calls us to support and to give and that of hospitality. There's a couple in here, and we were part of their small group for years when we first started here at Woodbine. And the husband was telling me a couple years ago, he thinks he had counted up over 200 people visited their house while they were host of this small group. 200 different people. Now, the small group wasn't 200 people in size. But all the different visitors who had come with other people, that small group, for the four years that they hosted. Think about that. The gift of hospitality to welcome and embrace people. It's powerful. Do you know that elders here in Timothy, one of the characteristics of an elder, which is basically the pastor, is that of being hospitable? It's an amazing gift and commandment that all of us should live out. But here Lydia is convincing them, you stay at my house. This is your home. I'll never forget in Mexico, if you hear it, and at least in Mexico, aquí tienes tu casa. This is your home. You're always welcome here. You're always welcome here. You are in. You are in. And in Mexico, if you reject somebody's food, you're rejecting them. Because of hospitality, it's powerful. It's an incredible gift that all of us can participate in. And if you've got that gift, use it. Open your home for the lost, the searching, the weak, and the dear brothers and sisters around you to show them the love and mercy of Jesus. Oh man, time is escaping us. That's part one. Act number two, the slave girl's restoration. This is the second point for the sermon here. Following, and we're not going to read it, but Paul and Silas and Timothy, their team, they're staying in Lydia's home. They're starting this church in Philippi. And every day or once a week, probably every day, they're going out to the river or maybe even Lydia's home, but they're going out to the river where the place of prayer was. And there was this slave girl who was owned by some people there in Philippi. And she was demonized. She had a demon inside of her, a wicked, evil spirit that could actually fortune tell. And it says in this passage here that she earned tons of money for her owners. She was a slave, poor, weak, taken advantage of, abused. But she had the spiritual power where she could truly foretell the future. And she would follow Paul. She would follow Silas. And she would shout out and yell out, these men right here, they're servants of the most high God and they're telling you the way of salvation. Are they lying? Is she lying? No, she's telling the truth. But she's not only being a nuisance, she's being a thorn in the side of Paul and his team. She's being a huge, massive distraction. And though she's telling the truth, People are not seeing Jesus and are not experiencing the love of the Father because of the demon inside this young woman. 
And it says that Paul was greatly annoyed. Say it, annoyed. Who's here been annoyed before? Raise your hand if you've ever been annoyed. Raise it high, none of this. Come on, annoyed. Thank you, Stevie. Way to go, way up there. Annoyed. All right, raise your hand if you've been greatly annoyed. All right, most of us. You guys didn't have your hand up, bunch of liars. No, I'm Stacey. Greatly annoyed, and he looks at this slave girl, and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. You see, there's power in Jesus' name. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We do not need to fear the demonic, though they are powerful. Jesus is far more powerful. And he lives and he abides inside of us. And because Paul had this deep, intimate relationship with the Father through the power of Holy Spirit, he could discern the spirits. And he knew that this slave girl was demonized. And this might be a hard passage for most of us from the West, because we would love just to pretend that there's no such thing as the demonic. It can be scary. It's unknown. It's ugh. And unfortunately, we have turned way too much into science and psychology, and I'm walking out on a limb. I know I am. But because of our Western minds, if we can't prove it scientifically or touch or feel or see it, we won't believe it. But there is a spiritual realm with spiritual demons and spirits who follow their Lord, who is Satan himself. And all they want to do is lie, kill, and destroy. And that's what this demon was doing to this young woman. And in the process, she was making tons of money for her owners. And Jesus set her free. He set her free. And many theologians believe that she became a believer. She was set free from the demonic oppression. And she can no longer foretell the future. And when her owners realized that they had lost their way of making money by human trafficking, by slavery and oppression, they grabbed Paul, they grabbed Silas, they threw him into the marketplace, they drug him to the chief magistrates, and they began to accuse him. These Jews have come here and are teaching customs that we, Romans, are not accustomed to. And they're causing dissension here. You see the craziness of what abuse does? They were abusing this young woman. They were taking advantage of this woman. She is set free, and yet these men grab Paul and Silas. And it says here that they stripped them of their clothes, and they beat them, they flogged them, and then they threw them in prison. And they commanded the jailer, you put them in the inner prison, in the stocks. So they're seated on the floor. Their back is probably looking like carne molida. What's that called? What's carne? Um, ground beef. Because they've been beaten. And their feet are chained to the floor in stocks. Part two was the salvation and liberation of this young slave girl by the name and power of Jesus. Part three of this story. If you were in prison because you love Jesus, what would be your response? If you were Paul or Silas, And all you're doing is sharing the love of Jesus with others. And you set a young woman free from her demonic oppression. And the leaders of the city grab you. They strip you naked in front of everybody. And then they beat you to a pulp. And then they throw you in jail and they lock you up. How would you respond? 
I'd be griping and complaining. I'd be, woe is me. God, this isn't fair. Where are you? I know I'd be complaining. I'd be full of rage and anger and self-pity and why me, God? I know that's what I'd be doing. What is Paul and Silas? What are they doing? It says right here about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And it says all the prisoners are listening to him. That's amazing. The faith, the relationship that Paul has with his heavenly father. This should inspire us not to carry another shoulda, woulda, coulda, not that. But man, if, if Paul and Silas could do this, can't we? Yes. We have the same spirit in us. We can walk with the same intimate relationship with our heavenly father. Here they are singing and praying and the other prisoners are listening to them. And then there's a violent earthquake. All the chains fall off and the jailer wakes up and the jailer's going to kill himself. Why? Because he has held responsible for the lives of those prisoners. And he will pay the price if they escape. The price is his life. And Paul says, don't go anywhere. We're all here. And to me, that's the greater miracle. Paul convinced all the prisoners to stay, which makes me wonder, did they convert? Did Holy Spirit convert all those prisoners to Jesus while they're in there listening to Paul and Silas sing and pray? The jailer comes in and asks the question of all questions. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Could you answer that question if someone were to ask you, Dustin, what do I need to do to be saved? Uh, well, uh, uh, it, Dustin wouldn't do that. I would. And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus. You and your whole family, your whole household will be saved. You see, that's a reflection of Acts chapter 2 when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. When Peter preached and the people asked, brothers, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See, Paul is saying the same thing. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will reside and live inside of you. For this promise is for you and your children. You see, what happens is when someone in a family becomes saved, one of two things will happen. The family will reject them, which does happen. Or the rest of the family will come to know Jesus too. And that's our hope and prayer. So this jailer, whose house was probably connected to the jail, he takes Paul, Silas, he brings him into his home. He washes their wounds. Hospitality, service, washing feet. He sets a meal before them. Paul and Silas teach both him and his whole family about the Lord Jesus, and that whole family gets saved. These are people from a different country than Paul and Silas. So you have Lydia and her family. You have this slave girl who's been set free. You have the jailer and his family. What a church. Crossing cultures. There is so much that we could learn 
from this passage so much. And my question for you, for me, and I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. My question for you is, how is the Lord Jesus speaking to you today through this long passage? You know, I wrote down several things on here. One of the things that we can learn is just the power of the gospel for the salvation of those who believe. Lydia and her family, the slave girl, the jailer and his family. Another one is this, just the gospel transforms lives, families, and communities. The gospel truly crosses cultures. It is not limited by how wealthy or poor we are, what color we are, what language we speak, or what country we're from. Jesus, Zach, will have a harvest where you came from. You might not ever see it, but it will and is happening. There are three things. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The power of worship and prayer and the joy of salvation. One of the things I didn't even highlight on is it said that the jailer and his family rejoiced because they came to know the Lord. For those of us who grew up in church or churchianity, I can really struggle personally. I won't speak for you, but I can really struggle at times of having the joy of the Lord because I've known it since I was a little kid. Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah. Church. But think about the scriptures say that our Heavenly Father rejoices over us like a bridegroom with his bride. Go ask Brady how excited he is to marry Rebecca in a couple weeks. That's just a fraction of how our Heavenly Father rejoices over us. If you don't sense the joy of God's salvation, ask and pray. David did in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Prayer and worship. The reason Paul and Silas could pray and worship while in prison was that was a lifestyle they had because they knew that their intimacy with Jesus was by far the most important thing. We sing corporately on Sundays. It's not just to get to the most important thing, the sermon. Worship is the most important thing because our focus, our eyes, our heart, our mind, even our bodies are fixed upon him. And I want to encourage you as we repeat the choruses and the verses, we're having an encounter with him, giving him all the glory and letting his Holy Spirit fill us fresh and anew. We worship whenever, wherever, because Spirit, Holy Spirit abides in us. So let us stand, let us worship him. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus. And if you need prayer, Maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus. We would love to pray with you and tell you what you must do to be saved. It'll cost you your life, but it's worth it. Maybe you're struggling with sickness or financial situation or something at work or at home. We'll have a couple people over here at Next Steps. We would love to pray with you. I know some of the pews are really tight, so you might just have to nudge your neighbor out of the way to get out. That's okay. But as we sing, as we worship, let's pray too. Let us praise Jesus.